Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And before we begin, let me very quickly remind you yet one more time that the first weekend of December, we are having our annual retreat in San Antonio, Texas. And if these messages that we share every week really mean something to you, are feeding your spirit, then I can tell you that a retreat would lock it up. You know what I mean? Um, There's no loose ends. At a retreat, we are in a hotel together for the weekend, and that's time not only to speak, but to pray with and share uh, around tables with others of like mind, and marvelous things happen in that period of time. And we're coming rapidly now to the closing up. Um, that is, the hotel will demand how many are coming. And at that point, you you lose the special rates on the rooms and so on. And so please, if you are planning to come, let us know. Call our office or find us on the web at unconditionallovefellowship.com or .org. And you can claim your place. Okay, I want to share a couple of parables of Jesus tonight. Uh, They are very small. They're probably the smallest, shortest parables of Jesus. Uh, They are found in Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field okay so that that one little sentence there jesus said this is what the kingdom of heaven is to be seen as and then verse 45 again he said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, I, they, they are very short parables. But let me tell you that deep inside those parables, there is so much truth and revealing tours of the entire mission of Jesus. Jesus started the parable with telling us that he is with this one, almost one line illustration, revealing what one might call the mystery of the kingdom of God. When I say mystery, I don't mean something like a detective story mystery. I I mean the mystery as it's used in the New Testament, which is that this is hidden 
people don't get it until they are meeting with Jesus. And Jesus is the key that unlocks, totally unlocks the the whole of the mystery. It's a mystery no more. Jesus is the key to it. And, and so Jesus here is introducing us to the mystery of the kingdom of God and at the same time revealing himself as the very meaning behind it, the seeker of the treasure, the seeker of the pearl, the kingdom of God. Let me very quickly comment on that, the kingdom of God, which sometimes is called the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you, there's no difference. Uh, Jewish people in New Testament days were very loath to say the word God. They, they felt it was so sacred. It was so awesome that they could not pronounce it. And so they substituted the word heaven. But heaven, God, is really speaking of the same thing. Heaven must be understood as the God dimension, the God place, the, the fullness of the Holy Trinity. And, and so he said that this kingdom of God into which you and I are brought is it's to be found in and through Jesus and in Romans 14 defined as the kingdom of God is righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit so so don't think of sort of a land somewhere or even as a destination place certainly not an administration a sort of empire or government what what you have here is living in the dimension of the holy spirit where we are caught up into god himself in and through jesus and says romans 14 that dimension is righteousness and righteousness which is almost another hours um, webinar but righteousness is, is not uh, a list of do's and don'ts that you perfectly keep you know when I hear some people talk of it they speak of it almost uh, with rigidity um, it, it's like a, a vast wall of ice righteousness and, and the one cowers before it but the word righteousness is an Old Testament word. It comes from covenant living. And it means two persons who are in covenant and walking in relationship together and delighting the one in the other. And, and so the kingdom of God is this walk with God in and through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And that brings, that is the very essence of joy. And therein is peace. And so the kingdom of God, one could say, it's the very meaning of life. For this we were created. And it is the ultimate relationship. God and man walking together in Christ. Okay, well, how does it all work, you say? How does it work? Well, Jesus is the way into that fellowship. And in these parables, Jesus describes himself as the seeker, the seeker after the hidden treasure and the seeker after the pearl 
that outdid all other pearls. Jesus the seeker. Understand that. He's a seeker and he's, he's on a quest. That is, he's seeking on an intentional mission. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so you mustn't look at Jesus as, as simply sort of being with us in order to show us what we ought to be. No, he is God, God the Son in our humanity seeking us in order to bring us to this glorious end of relationship with the Father in and through him the Son, through the Holy Spirit. It's an intentional mission. He's not here as a tourist just to check out creation. He's here with focus. He's here to find that which he seeks. It's, what can I say? He's here to lay hold of that which brings him. And he's going to lay hold of it in love and to take it home to the Father. This is the whole mission of Jesus is what the gospel is all about. It's, it's what the epistles are commentating on. So, first of all, Jesus the seeker, and he dominates these parables. Of course, we say it's the parable of the lost treasure and the parable of the, the pearl, but it isn't really, not really. They're both the same. It's the parables of the seeker. It's all about the seeker seeking the treasure. It's about the seeker seeking the pearl. And so Jesus himself is the subject of these two one-liner parables. But then he's seeking the treasure. And, okay, the treasure. And it was a hidden treasure. That is, it was buried for whatever reason. It separated um, from the owner and it's it's buried in a field so it's covered in dirt covered with with rocks um, it's a dirty place to be if you know what I mean and depending how long it had been there the box that it would be in would could be rotted and the the dirt now inside the box with the worms and covered with with all the crud of the field. I mean, we're not looking at something very nice when you say there's a treasure hidden in the field. And certainly now, whatever was in there, plates of gold, cups of silver, precious bejeweled items, uh, now in, in that darkness, in that dirt, they're, they're tarnished. And they don't glitter and glow as they did in olden days. You see, it's a, it's a hidden treasure, but it's it's in a field. It isn't like it was hidden in a cupboard somewhere, or or hidden in a cave even. For no, this is in a field. That's a dirty place. I don't know. No one knew it was there or it wouldn't have been described as lost, hidden. And so, who knows? Maybe they're growing turnips over the top of it. I, it vegetables are being grown there. Maybe cattle are grazing. You understand? This is a far cry from the fantastic reason for this treasure in the first place. It was meant 
to adorn a mansion of high beauty. It was meant to be fingered and and looked at in honored places in a beautiful house by beautiful people. Now it's in a dirty box buried in the dirt. It's not a very nice, nice thing. Um, Dirty, corroded. Ah, but this is the point. And it's the biggest point. If you can get this, you'll get the heart of these parables. Even though this treasure is buried in the dirt, even though it's tarnished and a messy box and business, it has not lost one iota of its worth. Can you get that? Not one iota of its worth has been diminished. This treasure is as worth today what it was when it first got itself into that field. In fact, there is a sense in which now its worth has been accented. I mean, it was it always had great worth. But you you know a thing's worth sometimes when you lose it. It's it's when when it's no longer where it should be. Then you recognize the worth that you had when you had it. This this treasure is still treasure. Please understand that. Please understand it. Though this has gone into the darkness, and even the worms now crawl across its jewels. That treasure is still of the same worth as it always was. Put that on hold. And in the second parable, you have this man who is searching for his pearl. I say his pearl. It was a pearl that he knew of, a pearl that now dominated all his thinking, a pearl that seemed to cry out to him, out there somewhere in the world he knew there was this pearl of greatest price, this pearl that exceeded in beauty all other pearls. And as he goes as a pearl merchant from market to market, bazaar to bazaar, he is searching, always searching, going through piles of pearls, running necklaces of pearls through his hands, looking at each one of them with the eye that knows what he's looking for, the pearl. But that pearl, as the story opens, is simply a pearl somewhere, (laughs) a heap of pearls in a jeweler's shop in one of the bazaars of the Middle East. If you've ever been to the near Middle East or even to the Far East and you go into the bazaars, you know what I mean? They're the marketplaces and and there you'll see the, 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 the heap of stuff and there you'll see those who haggle over the prices and this is strewn there. There's it's it's not a place where things are put on show so much as they're there and, and you're going to haggle at them and offer your price and barter the owner down. There it is, the pearl. You wouldn't know it unless you got the eye for it. It's just there, pearl among other pearls. 
and everyone's giving their opinion. You know how it is. If you've been to such a place, that well, I give you so much for this one, and some other chap comes along, well, I give you so much for that, and, and so it goes on. Everybody's got an opinion of the value of these pearls, and that one in particular. None of them had any idea of the value, or they'd never be talking about it like that. Nor, in fact, did all their opinions give that pearl its value. It had an inherent value already. It was just opinions that people would stick on it, and whoever presently owned it would stick up the price and say, I think it's worth this. And of course, whatever they said, not knowing the value, but they didn't change its value. It is what it is. It has this supreme value. It, it's the pearl that's been made for somebody's honor. You know, pearls. Pearls are put round the neck. Pearls are for display. Pearls are so often given as the very symbol of love and commitment. You know, pearls, things of beauty to adorn someone that you believe is beauty. You get it. The interesting thing is that pearls are different to all other jewels or precious things. You do know this, I think, but I'll make reference to it, that the pearl is different because it is made with pain, I mean physical pain, uh, the physical shedding of blood and death. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the oyster. You see, an oyster gets a little grain of sand in, inside its shell, and that begins to rub and rub and rub, and, and, and the oyster sends its oils or whatever to the piece of sand to, to coat it so it wouldn't hurt. And so, as the sand rubs, and, and gradually there is encrusted upon the sand, the, the oils that are going to become the pearl, but by this time the oyster has known great pain and suffering and blood. And then, of course, to get the pearl, you cut the oyster open, the oyster's dead, and you have the pearl. That's how pearls are made. Every pearl is made in suffering and in blood. And so here it is, sitting on the table somewhere in a marketplace in the near Middle East, a pearl beyond all pearls, stuck along with all the others there, up for grabs for everybody's opinion as to its worth. There it is, waiting for this pearl merchant to find it. You're getting this, that, that this treasure and this pearl, both of them have in common this same word. They are of great worth. And a worth that has presently not been realized, not been discovered. But they're all valued in the heart and mind of the seeker. The one who is a treasure discoverer and the other who is seeking the pearl. In both cases, these persons know the value of that which they have laid hold on. And... and, and the, to such an extent, in both cases, did you notice that, that it says that the owner 
gives everything he's got in order to lay hold upon it. Did you, did you hear that? That when, when he comes to the, see the treasure there, he sells all that he has to buy the field in order to get the treasure. The pearl merchant does the same thing. He sells everything he has in order to buy that one pearl. And so it, it is saying that the value of the treasure, the value of the pearl is equal to the assets of the owner, rather the seeker. And he's ready to give his very self in order to lay hold upon this. So, so the key to understanding these, whatever condition they're in right, as the parable opens, they are of tremendous worth, value. But of course, in the condition in which the parable opens, a buried treasure and a pearl just strewn on a marketplace cloth, well, they are separated from the seeker. I mean, really, that's the meaning of the story. The, the, the one is separated from the treasure, and in order to be connected to the treasure, he sells all that he has. The pearl merchant separated from this highly desirable pearl and, and sells everything in order to be connected. It is a story from separation to union. That's what it's about. And of course, it is speaking of us. I'm, I'm sure you've realized that by now. You are the treasure. You are the pearl. In fact, it is one of those um, what can I say, streams of idea that are from the beginning of the Bible right through to the end. It is. It, it might be surprising. I'll get there in a moment, I think. But um, the idea that you and I are God's special treasure, that uh, using such words as delight in and precious and uh, words and ideas like it, it, it streams the first time that it comes into full plays in Exodus 19. And it, from there it goes all the way through the Bible, that we are his treasure. Jesus wasn't just making this up out of the air. He was bringing to us that which is a stream of truth from the whole scripture. And, and so we are this treasure. Think about that before we really get to it. The, 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 we are the treasure, but the way it is presented to us, a treasure whose present reality is anything but being a treasure. Hear, hear me very carefully. It, it's, it's a treasure, but in its present condition, as we meet it in the first lines of the parable, its reality is of separation. It's reality. That is the way things are. And if I could ever give any personality to the treasure, it probably is reality would mean that this is as good as it gets. In the darkness, there's alone, not in the place it was created to be disconnected from the very meaning of its being treasure. And the pearl, even though it was in its very creation, um, most unusual in that it was, what can I say, it was blooded from its, its birthing. It, it, it had the mark of suffering and death in order to become the beauty, 
right from the beginning but now it's uh, almost discarded as a pearl would be in an eastern market it's its value is being invented by every tom dick and harry coming by and in both cases the treasure pearl precious jewel whatever but it's not in circulation and therefore it's not giving pleasure even though it was made the treasure was fashioned by the hands of an artisan and the pearl as it came out of the oyster in both cases they exist in order to give pleasure give delight to their owner but right now they're not doing that to anybody they're they're separated from all of that and there's is is it's a non-life if if you're trying to give the meaning and purpose of a pearl's life or a treasure's life. But this seeker, you see, it's the seeker. The seeker knows what he's looking for. He knows. He knows there's a treasure there that is worth everything that he is and has. And he knows, this other chap knows there is a pearl that is equal to everything that he is and, and owns. He, he knows what he's looking for. He, he knows the value. This, when, when the pearl merchant looked and when the fellow in the field opened that box and saw the treasure, he wasn't looking for bling. You know what I mean. Just all the shiny stuff that any bird would take to its nest. It's not the cheap stuff that you get in an American market just to shine on your person like pieces of aluminum no um, you understand what I mean this is the real thing this is real to the very heart this isn't even a veneer this is the real thing this is the real value and when he sees it, the word that he's used, he is filled with joy as he finds the treasure, as he looks upon the pearl. It's joy. This, okay. Let me say again what I said a moment ago. Only now, let me get into it a bit more. We are the treasure. Now I know this is very difficult for some persons to grasp that. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the God revealed to us in and through Jesus, has counted you and declared you to be his treasure. Yes, please hear me. You are his delight. Uh, I, I read... Well, I must admit, I didn't read it too carefully, but I, I, I read something that someone posted the other day in social media, and it, it, it was describing their concept of God, that God was this flaming, raging brass, that, that he's absolutely had it with humans, and uh, I mean, stand by, he's about to press the smite button and his wrath will be let loose like a dragon breathing its fire um, and, and we're supposed to be happy about that. Um, that that's supposed to be the gospel according to this fellow 
And, and, and I realized by some of the comments that were made that people believe that. They believe that God is a God of rage. Um, he, he makes any child abuser look like a pussycat. Um, no. Then, then I come along and I say this, that he looks upon you with, with the passion of the treasure seeker. He looks at you with the wonder and delight of the pearl merchant. You, you are his delight. You're his treasure. You are his pearl. And, and you, you might sort of be staggered. You say, I, I've never heard that before. Well, as I said, th this is the subject, really, of the entire Bible. I mean, not exactly whole passages through the Bible, but it's there almost as a given, almost as understood. I said in Exodus 19.5, and he uses the word, whichever way you want to describe it, the exact meaning of the word in, in the Hebrew language would be a special treasure. It, it, it could be understood as simply extremely valuable property. It would be described as um, super wealth. But it's got in it the idea of it being uniquely mine. So it's, it's not simply wealth in an abstract idea that you're looking at a pile of gold or something. No, this word is used to describe it is my treasure. It is my personal wealth. It is mine. And so it's personal in the sense it's my cherished treasure it's it's got that mine and in the various texts as they open up through the scripture they use this the lord says you are mine you are my this word treasure mine my very own for another translation would be you are my unique treasure i mean uh I mean, if you're really interested, you could follow this through Exodus 19.5. Deuteronomy is full of it. 4.20, chapter 7.6, chapter 14.2, um, chapter 26.18. It goes on and on like the tolling of a bell. Every time the Lord turns to his people, he says, you're my chosen, my special, my treasure. You are mine. In Psalm 135, it's there again. He chose you to be his, and our translation has its own possession. But even in the margin, because that means the translators wondered if they should put it there in the text. It is, you are my special treasure. It's the same word. Look, it's you I speak of, because otherwise you, you'll miss the wonder of the kingdom of God. That you are his treasure. You see, we say he loves us, but some people look at that as, as if he's a remote God who's sort of a nice fellow and just smiles benignly at you. No, the love of God is passionate, is personal. And he looks at you and calls you his treasure, his own possession. Think about that. Uh, Malachi 3.17 is another one. It says, you will be mine. There's that idea of mine. 
I, I prepare my own possession. And the even the Amplified Bible translates that as, as trying to get to that original word by saying, you are my jewels. Yes, jewel. You're my precious stone you have worth but it's more than just worth of a stone you're mine and so there's the whatever you're worth but then added to that is what shall i say my my personal bestowal of worth that which you mean to me and he goes into the new testament it speaks of the coming and death and resurrection of Jesus, Titus 2.14. It says, He gave Himself for us to purify to Himself a people, and here it is again, of His own possession. And it's a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, but um, in the Greek language of the New Testament, it, it has that other twist. It, it's, it means everything I've just said about treasure, but in, in the Greek it also means here is something beyond the ordinary. <laughs> do, do you get it? You're a people of his own possession. You are therefore beyond the ordinary. You're, you're not just the usual run-of-the-mill creation. You're one of special interest. These are the words that would come up in the Greek language there. Um, you're, what, what? Respect, you know, that word which means re-inspect, mean to take a second look. It, it means that I, I take a second look at you and my jaw drops. You are one of those for whom God became incarnate. You are one of those people that God became flesh and dwelt among us. You're one of those he died for. You are one of those that he dwells in right now. You get it? That's what he's saying. You're, you're, you're not, you are anything but ordinary. You are the most amazing of God's creatures to cast a shadow on planet Earth. You're not the usual run-of-the-mill. You are unusual to the nth degree. God himself has special interest in you. He's fascinated with you. As lover is of the beloved... He wants to know your thoughts. He wants to know your interest. And he wants to hear it out of your mouth. And one more can we have? 1 Peter 2.9. It says, you are a people of God's own possession. I mean, it's all the way through the scripture. And in the New Testament text there, Titus, it says the result of that is you are zealous which is a word, or it actually means bubbling and boiling over, like water boiling over the sides of the pot. And, and it, it means eager, it means enthusiastic about a life of blessing others. When you have seen your worth as God's treasure, his pearl, then all of life takes on a new meaning. And in the Peter one, it says the result of that, you realize you're a people of God's own possession, that you proclaim the praises of him who called you out of that darkness where you were into his marvelous light. You're his treasure. And, and can I say this then to emphasize it? What, what is your worth? 
I speak to you, eyeball to eyeball here. What is your worth? When the Father put a worth on you, it was an equivalency, the same as these stories, you see. What's the worth of that pearl? It is everything that the pearl merchant has. That's the worth. So he has to sell everything he has to get the pearl. What's the worth of that treasure? Everything that the finder has. What is your worth? Your worth is God the Son, Jesus. In order to accomplish the rescue, the restoration of you to that place of honor and beauty for which you're created, God himself gave himself. I mean, those are the words the Bible uses, isn't it? For God so loved the world, he gave. He loved me and gave himself for me. That... Do, do you know how much God loves you? It's uh, The only way we can say is the same as he loves Jesus the Son, and therefore he gave Jesus the Son, and Jesus the Son readily, willingly came to enter into your life, to restore you to this, this honor. Another word that's part of all that we're talking about there is it runs... This idea runs through the scriptures. He delights in us. He has, it's an inclination. That is, he, he bends toward us. And he has bias, you see, his favor. It's a word used to describe the joy of lovers, the look in the man's eye as he looks at his beloved and the dancing joy in her eyes and the flush of her cheeks. The, the word in the Bible used is delight. And then he uses it to describe how God feels about you. He takes pleasure in you. Takes pleasure in you. You are his treasure. And you see, this didn't begin yesterday. Because like the pearl... There, there was pain and suffering and death in its making. And so the scripture tells us that in your most far-reaching origins, before the world began, it says Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was a fall, before there was sin, our coming into being in the heart of God, he knew he would shed blood for you. That's how we came into being. We, we, we are pearls in our creation, and certainly in the new creation, in the blood of Jesus Christ, in his mighty resurrection, we are the pearls. That's the, that's the value that is placed on us by the Father and by the Son, it's a bestowed value, the joy of God that amounts to far more than what your actual body is, is in dollars. This is a bestowed value. It takes the whole of God to bring you to himself. And, and this is not, what can I say, a sort of divine charade. Uh, 
God's not playing at this. This is not something as a show put on to sort of impress you. No, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to it again. The, 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 when they found the treasure, do you, do you remember, we, we read it, he found the treasure, then he re-hid it because he had to go and turn all his assets into cash to buy the field. And, and the pearl merchant similarly had to, okay, I've found the pearl, now I've got to liquidate everything, turn it all into cash so I can buy this pearl. What what I'm saying is in both cases, what is Jesus saying? It was not impulse buying. This is not um, just a a whim that, oh, he's going to do this. No, every story Jesus told, and some that we've preached on before, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, always the seeker is making costly choices. Choices that actually have death written into them. And and so here, this is not impulse purchasing. This is rather describing selling everything. And you've got all your time in the world to to say, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to do this? Am I going to go through with this? As each part of your assets comes into cash now, do do you really want to go through with it? This is... This is a choice, an intention that comes from the very heart. And so, can I ever say the words incarnation? Can I ever say the idea that God, the Creator, actually joined His creation and took to Himself our humanity, our flesh? He came where we are in order to bring us to where He is. And we just touch on that in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where right there, hours prior, and, and Jesus, God in his humanity, real humanity, looks upon the anger and the anguish and the suffering that lie ahead through to his death. And he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. This is intention. God does not make you his own just on a toss of a coin. Can you understand that with with great determination, decision, Jesus came to bring you treasure, to bring you pearl to the place for which he made you. He comes where we are. I mean, if I'm going to get that treasure out of the dirt, I get my hands dirty, I go down into the dirt, under the rocks, down with the worms, I'm going to get that treasure out. The, the, the seeker of that parable goes right down into where the treasure is. The pearl merchant goes into the bazaar, lays hold upon that pearl, goes where they are, that you see, Jesus came into our reality. That is what the incarnation is. And he was doing it throughout his life. But specifically, he does it as he enters into deliberately the suffering and death. He comes where we are. 
the sufferings of Jesus inflicted by enraged humans. You, you could say that sin has come of age. And what Satan enticed Eve to and Adam to follow enticed them there in the Garden of Eden. When that came of age, when it had fully matured, the human said, crucify him, kill him, damn him to hell as we tear him limb from limb. Um, that's what they thought of God and that's what they thought of his salvation. It's come of age and so Jesus very deliberately goes into that darkness, goes into that mass of seething lies Lies concerning who God really is. Lies that put black mud on the beautiful face of God and say he's a torturer, he's a killer, he's not love. And lies that twist and turn mankind into something other than he really is. That produces the rage that the self-seeking, the envy, the greed, and so on and so on. Jesus came inside that in his sufferings and in his death. And every time they hurled it at him, he received it. He took it. Peter, 1 Peter 2.24 makes a big deal of that. He didn't throw it back. He didn't threaten them. He didn't take them on. He didn't say, meet me in the alley outside and we'll settle this. Whatever they said, whatever they did, he received it. Or the Old Testament said the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He received the very worst that human could do. He came where we were. He came where we live and made it his own. He became sin for us. Only he is light. He is love. He is reality. And if that darkness was our reality, he comes in with his reality. He comes in obedient to the Father. He comes into that. And he's the light that reveals who Father really is. Right in the middle of that, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the reality, you see, the true reality. That's who God really is. He came where we are, exposed the lies, exposed the darkness, and exposed that you're really his treasure. You're tarnished and you're covered in dirt and worms, but you are his treasure, and I've come to bring you out. And the hand that reached into that jeweler's piece of dirty cloth and picked up that pearl and says, ah, you are the pearl that I've been searching for. That's the reality. And the resurrection of Jesus was the resurrection of the human race. It was bringing us out of the lies to who we truly are, our true value. I say it again, th these parables are the parable of the seeker. It's, it's all about him. It, it's not about, you know, how is the treasure, treasure going to get to the seeker? That's not the question. The question is the seeker finding the treasure. Do you get this? 
I know, again, that's difficult because we've been taught, some of us all our lives, that um, it's what we do. We've got to find God. We are the ones who have got to sweat and, and try hard to find the right formula to find God. But that's nowhere in the scripture. The whole thing with the scripture is he's the seeker. He's finding us. And in the depth of the cross and his sufferings and darkness, he found us. And in his resurrection, he carried us to the Father. It's not about you. Bless your heart. You've been trying all these years. Did I read my Bible enough? Did I pray enough? Am I good enough? Am I, am I, am I? And, and really, let me tell you, I tell you in love, but it doesn't amount to a heap of figs. You see, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. His love is love that initiates. He's the one who first loved us. He came where we are, and we only wake up to him after the fact, and we realize who he really is and who then we really are and how he has achieved that. He initiates our finding. He initiates our restoring. Nothing the pearl, it, it was done for them. This was done for you. You woke up in, new, in, in birth to, to such a situation. New birth was waking up to the reality that had always been there. And, and, and this seeker comes where the, the hidden or lost or not realized thing is. And, and he overcame the separation. He's come there, he's sold everything he has, and he has come to overcome the separate, to untie the awful chains that are lies. The lie that we're separated from God. How can we be? He's come right into our darkness. He's closer than our breathing. And, and, and he unites with us. You see, this, this is the heart of the gospel. I'm watching my clock and it's zooming by. But quickly, th this is the, the goal of the gospel. goal of the gospel is not that you be forgiven. Oh, that's glorious it's wonderful it is so but the goal you know what i mean where we're, we're aiming at forgiveness yes but we, we we that's not where we're aiming we, we pass through the wonder of being forgiven but the goal do you, do you remember there's that verse in john chapter 13 uh, just before he washes the disciples feet and it says, uh, and if you're part of a liturgical church, we, we say it every time we celebrate the Eucharist, that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Do you remember that? John 13. Um, love them to the end. Well, that word end there means to the completion or to the goal. It means purpose achieved. That is, having loved us, he loved us, but he loved us right to the goal being achieved. It's, it's bound up in when he shouted, it is finished, it's done, we did it. And what, what is that? 
It's the goal. It's, I say again, not just that you'll be forgiven, though that's a glorious part of it, but the goal achieved was that he's got inside us in our worst, in our darkness, in our most unlovable, the love of God has got inside us and exposed the lies and revealed in that act the love of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And he's going to raise out from that death and in so doing, we will be inside of him and so what what's what's this under the end the goal is union uh, not just alongside but actually in that's the key word of the new testament jesus said in that day i will be in you and you will be in me and you in me and i in you will be in the father i mean in not alongside but in there's nothing in our physical world that we can really use to illustrate that it means that he's in me and in no way does he diminish me or squash me or put me to the side rather i become the fullest human i was created to be and he's fully in me without displacing me and i am in him and so i'm sharing his history i'm sharing his life i'm sharing his joy and his peace union relationship and jesus when he told the disciples this in john chapter 15 he said these things about you being in me and i in you these things i've told you about so that your joy may be full the joy that christians talk about it's it's not like happiness happiness is a response to happenings and and so when we like it we're happy no joy is directly from father son and holy spirit and when i am inside their life and love and light i have joy which has nothing to do with circumstances or happenings it is joy that is of and from God. And you notice in these parables, Jesus uses that word, he sticks it in there, that upon the finding, upon the laying hold of, there was joy, joy. And this is actualized in us by the Holy Spirit, who is the very ascended Jesus in us. Well, I said a mouthful there, didn't I? But do you get it? You, you who are God's treasure, you, you who are his pearl of great price, you who are worth infinite value to the Father, so much so he gave his son as the equivalency that the son who gave himself for you That's who you are, beloved of the Father, the delight of Jesus to bring you and the Holy Spirit witnessing to you right now. This is who you are. This is who you are. What what can we do? I mean, everything I've just said for the last hour is what he has done. 
All the treasure does, all the pearl does is stand in awe of the love that values has purchased me and I participate in the achievement. I participate in the joy of God that he has found me and placed me in that place of honor, whether it be the honor of the gold and the silver and the precious jewels or the pearl adorning the beauty of God. That's who who you are. See? Well, I'm I'm really done. I just would say this. You're, You're not the only one, though, of course. So that means when you look at your fellow human being, look through the tarnish, look past the worms and the dirt, Stop putting some diminished value on another pearl and see them with the eyes of Jesus as he sees you, okay? That's just an aside. As I said, I'm done, and I I trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Well, I say the rest. I trust he's been working the whole time. I open my mouth. But I trust the Holy Spirit in these hours to come, days, maybe months, to uh, using those words of scripture open the eyes of your understanding that is bring you to see who you are see it's not you're going to do something to get somewhere it is eyes open to realize this is done this is finished this is the way it is and that's my prayer for you um you might have noticed that um, we have a different setting. You've probably been thinking about that for the last hour. Um, We are in San Antonio, and that enables us to connect with far higher uh, internet service than we could ever get in Bandera. And so this is a room in a house, as you can probably see, and we are hopefully over the next weeks... Um, bringing about a, a, a better studio but this is where we're at and um, it could be that you even hear it better but it could also be you hear the sound of traffic outside so forgive us for that um, and let's settle into our new surroundings for the next few weeks and now the blessing of God who is almighty love the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit whose love for you is unlimited, limitless, infinite. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Let that be your blessing of blessings. Open our eyes to see who you, Holy Three, are and who we are and who we are in and through Jesus. Let it all become clear. Let it all become crystal clear. Let us walk in the truth, the reality that is ours in Christ Jesus. So I bless you this night. And that is the way it is.